You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Sometimes innovation happens in the least expected times and in the least expected places. Krista Edmonds is an example of someone who fell into her industry after swearing she would not end up in finance. Today, She's a director of Barclays Ventures, which is Barclays Innovation Practice, and her role involves connecting internal stakeholders and clients to the company's innovation ecosystem to drive commercial outcomes. Prior to working in innovation, Krista worked for Barclays Markets Business in both London and New York and was a board member for Neptune Networks. In today's episode, we discuss a wide range of topics, including the importance of women on boards, how you can actually get on a board, and how learning circus skills turns out to be an innovation-adjacent practice. Tune in to hear more about Chris's trajectory and how she's helped instill innovation in one of the most impressive and regulated companies in the world while staying true to her ideals and to who she is. Hi, Krista. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. Hi, Zoya. Great to meet you and great to be on. Thank you for having me. Of course. So let's dive right in. You are director of Barclays Ventures. Uh, What does that mean and what was the background that you came into with this role with your life that prepared you to do the job? (laughs) So my career trajectory is a little bit, um, I wouldn't say haphazard, but maybe accidental. So Um, I fell into finance, I guess, by accident, really. Um, When I graduated, I went backpacking for a year. And then when I came back, I started working for an events uh, company. So we organized sort of um, very high-end events for high net worth clients. So lots of private parties for celebrities and that kind of stuff. Um, And it was a very interesting job in the sense that you saw quite an interesting side of the world. Um, But it was basically project management. Um, And I didn't love the industry that much. And then I had a friend at university who was working at a financial data services company. And she said, oh, they're recruiting people to work here. You know, would you be interested in coming to interview? And so I went and interviewed there and ended up joining the company. And it was a very large corporation. And I suddenly discovered that I quite liked corporate life. um, And I didn't mind working in finance. But I had sworn throughout my time at university that I was never going to work in finance. So it's kind of ironic that I am now. Um, And then I did that for four years, moved to an inter-dealer broker, and I was really keen to work for an investment bank, and the investment banks were obviously our clients, and so that's how I ended up being in banking, and I've been there now for 10 years, and eight of those were working in the markets businesses, Um, so I worked in both London and New York, and then I've spent the last two years working in corporate innovation. And so speaking to innovation, what does innovation mean in the financial sector and to Barclays specifically? Hmm. I mean, innovation, I think, is really just keeping a pace with change and disruption. And it's a it's a real buzzword now, but it's been around forever. I mean, we've always innovated across industries and human civilization has always been driven by innovation. But it's become a buzzword, um, I believe, because the pace of change is so rapid now. So the barrier to entry to start a company now is extremely low when you've got things like um 
you know, cloud services where you can spin up a company very easily. Obviously, the advent of the internet, for those of us that are old enough to remember what it was like before it existed, um, has been a huge change in how business is run. And I think what that means is that the com- competitive landscape has grown exponentially. Um, which is a great thing because there's a lot of innovation happening and I think it's happening much more rapidly and also uh, globally. Um, but it does mean that I think large corporations, the incumbents, I mean, uh, you know, my organization has been around for several hundred years. So, <laughs> um, so you know, it, the, you suddenly find that the competitive landscape is, is moving at a, a much faster pace. Um, so I'd, I'd say that's if I had to sort of encapsulate what innovation means, I'd probably say that that, that would be it, really. It's, it's always meant the same thing, but it's just moving at a much faster pace now. And then looking at Barclays Ventures, the mission is to grow new business through next generation propositions and capabilities. So what are you most excited about in this space and how has that really played out for you being there? Uh, I mean, working in innovation is is really exciting. I think coming from uh, the markets business, the um, learning curve was very steep. So everybody knows sort of buzzwords like AI and distributed ledger technology, but actually understanding them in sufficient detail that you can understand what the applications would be is is quite a challenge. And it's the the topics are so broad. We rely very heavily in the innovation team on our chief technology office. So we have lots of like deep technology experts there who, you know, will support kind of um, any innovation work that we do in that space. And we have somebody from that office who's assigned to the innovation office full time and they have that seat on rotation. So that individual works very closely with our team. Uh, I think one of the one of the biggest misconceptions in corporate innovation is that it's solely about technology, you know, with all that said. So finding interesting and disruptive technology is not really the challenge. If you're a large organization, they tend to come to you quite often. So you get a lot of exposure just just by virtue of the fact that you're a large organization and people will will get in touch with you directly. Um, One of the things that I think is often overlooked is the importance of cultural change. The biggest driver of innovation really is is the people of an organization. And I know that sounds kind of like a very overused term, um, but people really are key. And, um, you know, having being, being able to do innovation at scale requires bringing the whole organization with you or at least a significant portion of that organization. So programs that, that focus on cultural change are as important, I'd say, if not more important than the technology piece. So in order to implement a lot of the change, you have to have the technology piece and an understanding. Um, but really being able to get people to think in an entrepreneurial way creating an ecosystem that um, encourages people to self-disrupt and look at their their business areas and their roles and, and think about disruption and entrepreneurship as well is very important. Um, and also giving people the tools to understand how to think about a problem statement and how to address it. Um, so we have lots of programs that address that. So we have processes and programs and platforms that allow us to crowdsource ideas from across the organization and then um, workshops that will teach people how to do things like design their thinking for example and we also have a big focus on entrepreneurship so ideally you want to be able to incubate a lot of these ideas internally and have them developed you know within the organization rather than having people leave the organization and maybe start businesses externally because they couldn't bring their ideas to fruition within the company itself um, so I think that's probably one of the most important elements of, of innovation. And any organization that's thinking about doing it seriously should probably think about that first before they look at any of the other pieces. 
And you guys collaborate with different uh, startups and companies too. So what are some of the considerations um, that you think about when understanding whether to take in a startup to incubate it or accelerate it? Uh, what are those KPIs and measures of success around that? Yeah, I mean, one of the the ways that you can have credible engagement with the with the fintech industry is by understanding that you don't know what you don't know. And and the only way to do that really is to engage very actively externally. So we do that in in lots of, on lots of different fronts. Um, we have broad engagement with the VC community, so deep relationships with venture capital firms across the industry. Um, we also run an accelerator program, so it's the Barclays Accelerator Program powered by TechStars, and um, that allows us to take companies that we feel are interesting in the fintech space and you know help accelerate their development. Um, we also work very closely with the companies in our ecosystem. So we have three sites in New York, London, and Mumbai um, that are sort of fintech ecosystems and co-working spaces. And we work very closely with the companies that rent space there to, you know, look at their technology, see if it could be interesting for us as an institution to collaborate with them. And then those ecosystems also have a very rich series of events, which obviously is virtual now <laughs> in the in the post-COVID world for people listening to this this is going to date the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> we're in the midst of covid right now and uh, and so the whole event series has had to move online which has actually been very interesting because it's meant that things have not had to be just local and physical we've been able to go global with lots of our events which has actually given us a much richer toolkit of content across the the whole globe um and given exposure to the different regions of people in in other other geographical areas so that's been a really interesting evolution so those are some of the ways that we we work very closely with different different organizations and it's really exciting to see actually how startups think about things differently and it challenges us as an organization um, and they're obviously much more agile because of their size so that's also led us to sort of think quite seriously about how we can facilitate collaboration with them in a way that doesn't overwhelm them with this sort of enterprise level you know bureaucracy and uh, and controls and so on that that you know are just part and parcel of being in a large corporation and particularly a regulated corporation. And Barclays recently launched Rise, a mentorship program for female founders with Accelerate Her, a network that helps support female founders on their entrepreneurial journey. Could you share more about this and your general thoughts on the importance of launching a program like that? There's a, I mean, I think everybody recognizes this is quite quite a well-known fact in the industry that um, female founders only get about 2% of VC funding. I think that might have shifted up to 3% now. And what that means in real terms is that there's a huge untapped source of, of innovative females in the tech industry that are not getting investment and whose ideas may not be coming to fruition. And so we saw an opportunity really to, to engage more closely with them. So we have um, a lot of female founders in our ecosystem anyway, and female founders who have participated in our accelerator programs. Um, so the Female Innovators Lab, which we do in partnership with Anthem, this was really just a, a, an extension of that. Um, we've also established a female tech task force, which is led by my colleague Sonal Lakani. And that's looking to centralize a lot of the work that we're doing across sort of Feet tech for women um, in the organization. And we're looking sort of at doing, developing a really broad spectrum of programs that would support that. And it is no secret that it can be very challenging finding female mentors as you continue to rise and grow in business leadership, but specifically to the financial services industries as we've discussed today. How have you gone about finding different mentors and filling in the gaps within your own career trajectory? 
One thing that was interesting to me is when I first started having mentors, I was really nervous to ask people if they could mentor me because I thought it would be a huge um, burden to ask somebody's time. Um, and what I would say to anybody looking for a mentor is like people love to mentor you. <laughs> so well, I just, <laughs> yeah, I discovered that actually it's very easy to find um a collection of people that, that are really willing to support others. And and I often hear that women are not willing to support other women. And I really haven't had that experience in my career, actually quite the opposite. And I think we've got a really, really strong network of women at Barclays who are supporting each other. So we have like a women's network, we have a women in technology network, and, and there is a broad range of support across those groups in terms of helping women with their careers. Um, the same thing I'd say for the female founders as well. So actually a lot of the female founders that we have in our ecosystem have been extremely supportive of other female founders in terms of helping them develop their business ideas and mentor them. Um, one of the th ways that I think is really helpful to think about mentorship is really uh, the way I look at it, it's almost like having your own board of directors. So if you imagine that you are your own corporation and your life is your you know, your business plan, if you like, and then your your mentor should really be your board of directors. And there should probably be a broad range of mentors who have different skill sets. So there might be somebody that you go to to bounce creative ideas off of. There might be somebody that is very good at the detail and at controls and thinking about risks. And you might go to them and talk to them about sort of strategy around different things that you're wanting to do. Um, it's always good to have like a super connect or if you like in your in your board of directors or board of mentors so somebody that can make introductions and really help you network across the industry you know change people up so you know sometimes it's very good to have a mentor for a period of your life when you're trying to achieve a specific thing and then things may shift maybe your job shifts or maybe you go on to take on new challenges and it's useful to to you know maybe swap people out or add people to your board of mentors who can help you um sort of move your career forward the other thing i'd say that's that's quite interesting is in 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 that space is people tend to think that things are beyond their reach because they either don't know that something is possible and they just don't know the detail um, and they don't really have somebody to guide them. So um, I founded and ran a program at Barclays for about four or five years. It was called Women on Boards. And um, basically the objective of it was to teach women how to participate on boards. And I had had the benefit of being exposed to some understanding about board participation and then joined a board. And I realized that actually these were things that were not out of the reach of most people. It was really just understanding how this process worked. So, you know, if you're interested in doing something or you think that something, you know, I hear lots of people say to me, for example, I'm really interested in going into the investment space. And I'm like, well, you need mentors who are investors then. You need to understand that space. You need to talk to founders who've raised money who can explain to you what that process is like. Um, you know, you need to understand if that's something that you'd actually enjoy doing and then also start to network and get some exposure in that. And I found it was the same thing with board participation. When people understand how it works, like what does a board actually do when they come and sit together? What do people discuss how does the process work how does the voting process work like none of this is rocket science and, and you can teach it and what we found was there was a broad range of people across Barclays both male and female who were very willing to share their experiences who'd sat on boards or who maybe had skills in reading balance sheets or um you know, understanding how to read financial statements in general, um, how to do investment, um, uh, you know, all of these kinds of skill sets. We were very happy to share them and we were able to kind of scale up that training and inspire people to, to try things that they hadn't, you know, tried before. And so what value do you see in joining a board or promoting more women to join boards as a whole? Um, I think there's a huge value because I think you understand 
in a much clearer way the commercial imperatives of running a company, especially when you're in a large organization. People tend to be quite siloed in their roles um, and often do roles that aren't directly tied to generating P&L. Um, so I think if you sit on a board, you have a much clearer understanding of the fact that, you know, a company needs to make money in order to function. Um, it needs funding. It needs to be structured in a certain way. And even if it's a startup and, and actually if it's a startup, it's a great experience because you see things from the ground up. But you get a real sense of what's required in order to drive that business. So then you can take that up to a macro level in the organization and understand better from your company's perspective, things that may be important or relevant to driving business within your organization. So what are, have been some challenges in your own career of getting your voice heard or feeling like you really have equity where the big decisions are being made? I think, I mean, I, I don't think many women join join investment banks who are, are uh, kind of wallflowers. <laughs> so I think that the industry probably attracts a certain type to a certain extent. And what I will say is that most of my career, I've worked in very sort of male-dominated businesses. So just by virtue of the numbers... I've often been the only female in the room and quite often I would sit in meetings and there'd be 40 people around a table and I'd be the only woman. Um, and I, my observation is I think the style of discourse can be quite different in a more male-dominated environment. You have to shout a lot louder to get your voice heard. Um, there's maybe a different um, a different way of, of kind of coming to decisions or having discussions. So I think that's probably one of the challenges that women have in general in the finance industry. And I think because the numbers are not that even, the style of doing business can be much more skewed towards sort of, you know, typically male behavior, stereotypically male behavior than stereotypically female behavior. And um, I will say that working in innovation, we're actually very diverse, the innovation team. And that's a really great thing because I think that's critical for uh, sort of creative, disruptive thinking. And we have diversity across the board like not just from a gender perspective but from an age perspective I think probably our team runs for I don't know sort of early 20s to mid to late 40s in terms of the age range and um, religious backgrounds cultural backgrounds you know I think we have in our team probably you know people who come from sort of you know Christian religious backgrounds to Jain to um, we actually have a qualified rabbi on our team as well, not practicing. <laughs> Personally, I'm very proud to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because it, it not only sort of uh, creates interesting discussions in the team, but also when you're approaching problems, there are lots of different perspectives. So we all have, you know, we have different nationalities, people who think about things in different ways, um, people who come from innovation backgrounds, people who come from finance backgrounds, people who come from marketing backgrounds. So some who have run accelerator programs in previous roles, so they have a, a view on, on how that process works. So it can be quite exciting when we're sort of brainstorming ideas and, and sort of hearing those different perspectives. And I think you get a good balance then. And so innovation can be both preemptive and reactive. And we've spoken about some of the challenges between being at a startup and a larger company. You do work at a very large company. So how do you focus on being agile and experimental in your approach to innovation? I think one of the biggest challenges for large organizations is that it's a little bit like that, you know, famous example that everybody gives, but like the blockbuster Netflix kind of scenario. So if you're doing something that works and is generating revenue, it's quite hard to make the case to change that and disrupt yourself um, because the incentives aren't really there. And, and it can be critical because if you don't do that disruption, you could end up being obsolete. And I think that's quite a high risk for organizations now just because of the pace of technolo technological change. 
So I think one of the challenges for large organizations is being able to incubate ideas that may be disruptive to existing businesses. And I think we've worked quite hard in ventures to do that. Um, but also working with companies that are much more agile and much smaller than you are yourself. What's interesting is people often talk about the fact that that, that, that regulation can be actually very, um, you know, hard to, hard to manage as an organization. When you're a regulated entity, it, it puts a lot of restrictions. But one of the things I think is interesting is that regulation is also a huge moat because it's very hard for a small organization to come into an industry that's heavily regulated and have the resources to operate in that industry. So what's happened, which is quite interesting, is that the incumbents have started, rather than being so much disrupted by fintech companies, they've started collaborating with fintech companies. And so the challenge now becomes is how do you do that so that it's not a nightmare for both parties? (laughs) Um, So for us, it's about kind of you know, setting expectations with the startups very early on about timelines, because the timelines that we have versus the timelines that they have are very different. And then I think for the startups, really um, ensuring that they're enterprise ready. So understanding what the processes are, understanding that it's a regulated institution, so you have to adhere to certain things. And then we kind of have to construct any any working relationship such that, you know, we can we can operate in those timelines and with those restrictions and so on. Um, and we're working quite hard on our side to become increasingly a more friendly company to work with, even though we're a large organization and, and we have to be mindful of certain things. And also sort of finding startups that that are either experienced in working with organizations our size or are willing to, to you know, for, accommodate that, shall we say. So communication seems to be a really large part of your role, but what is a great piece of advice that you've received from somebody in your industry or a piece of advice that you've given to somebody else? It's advice, but I would say it's also just like an observation maybe over the years. I think many people over the course of their careers and just in general in the industry tend to be quite risk averse. And I think one thing that we often fail to realize, and and maybe situations like COVID really bring bring this to the forefront, is that actually most of the time under normal circumstances, most of us are very fortunate that we live in wealthy countries with good healthcare systems, with good education systems, with a lot of support systems, and typically work for companies as well that, you know, have good processes in place in terms of, you know, looking after their staff and, um, you know, benefits associated with employment there. So actually, there is an opportunity to take a lot more risk in one's career and also in disruption than I think people realize. And it's only when you look back that you think, I could have actually taken a lot more risk. Like I often look back to when I was in my early 20s, I think I should have taken a lot more risk in my career and my choices than I did. And I think as as employees of organizations, we probably should push for more risk taking, not in in a kind of a a kamikaze crazy way or anything that sort of goes against <laughs> regulations but in terms of thinking really about uh, disrupting yourself as much as disruption of the industry and kind of a curveball question on that end what is something that others don't know about you that you can share with us today <laughs> something that others don't know about me I don't think there's anything that anyone doesn't know about me there's probably somebody <laughs> um so fun fact, oh gosh, a few fun facts, I guess maybe stepping away slightly from, from the finance industry. And this is maybe why I've ended up working in innovation because um, um, I, I like interesting characters and, and different things, but um, I'm a qualified yoga teacher. Um, so I taught yoga for about four years before I joined the investment bank. I also used to go to circus school. So I spent about six years at circus school um, <laughs> and amazing. did that as a hobby. <laughs> Incredible. Do you use any of these skills in your job day to day now? 
Uh, unfortunately, well, in the circus girls, no. <laughs> any any of it. <laughs> um, I have I have taught yoga at our innovation space actually, so I have used that skill. Um, probably the circus skills I think is just so so that that actually would take me to the risk taking piece. So I'm scared of heights. Um, and what I had what had happened was I'd done a workshop on circus skills, which took you through various different types of uh, circus equipment, and. I was really struggling with cord lease, which is um, basically a rope that hangs from the ceiling that you have to climb. And I couldn't even get off the ground. And there were several people in my group that were like happily climbing this rope. And, you know, you have this sort of, I felt this like nauseous feeling where it was like being back at school when you can't solve a math problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I thought I have to master this. So then I decided to start taking classes at that school in Cord Lease. And but what it did do was get me over my fear of heights. So then I was able to hang upside down on a rope and and you know roll down a rope and do various different tricks. And and I think that does something to you when you when you have something that you have a fear of and then you kind of conquer that fear. Then I think it, it gives you a self belief that allows you to take risks. So I think that's um, probably. I'd say that that's the skill that that has helped me with in my job. <laughs> I love it. So before I do let you go, I'd love to ask you a question about innovation. Where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? I have this conversation almost daily with friends um, because we're all thinking about the future and planning and some of my friends are running their own businesses and thinking about how they're going to manage that process. So I'd say in a month from now, probably still working from home. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, probably more skilled at using a lot of the collaboration tools. So, uh, you know, we've all been fairly used to using things like WebEx and Zoom and so on. But I think there are lots of collaboration tools that people are getting more adept at using. And I think we'll see an increase of that. So I'd say probably the industry, it's not going to be too much change in the month's time. I think we'll probably all just be trying to figure out how soon people can go back to some semblance of being in the office. I'd say a year from now, I think we're going to see a huge acceleration in trends that were already happening, but that COVID has really brought brought to the forefront. I would love to see XR. So that's like a catch-all term for AR and VR for those that don't know. But I would love to see that have its moment in the sun. Um, I think it's well overdue more usage. And I've had this sort of vision through COVID of having this kind of VR experience where you could sit in a meeting, but be at home, but you would get the experience of being sat around a table in a meeting room and you could turn around and look at your colleagues next to you and you would have that kind of inexperience. So I think that maybe we will see more tools like that because there will be a desire to recreate the office experience. And I think we will also see, obviously nobody's traveling now, but I think we will see a huge decrease in the amount of corporate travel because people will have got used to working remotely and there'll be less necessity to do that. And I think less desire to do that. So we're much more used to collaborating with electronic tools. And I would say 10 years is tough. So I think corporate innovation will probably become a bigger part of the business going forward in 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 sort of over the coming years. And I think there'll be more investment in that piece. Um, we'll definitely see technology accelerate more and more because I, I I can't see how it cannot. I just think each each incremental development just creates more and more opportunities for um you know for collaboration and for for experimentation and and innovation. But I think that the off I I suspect that the sort of distributed working, if you like, um, is going to become more of the norm rather than the exception. So I suspect that we will see people hiring globally much more for roles that previously were hired for locally. 
that might lead actually to even more creativity as people start working with people from across the world and across different industries. I think that might actually give a creativity explosion um, that will drive innovation even more. So I think it could, it could be very interesting. COVID could be a very double-edged sword. I think for for all of the sort of you know tragedy and horror that it's brought, I think it could also drive a lot of change. Yeah, we keep on hearing on this podcast about the fact that people feel like it's just really sped up innovation. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, I think there's a lot to unpack there. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. It was a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Same to you, Zoya. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.